What's up, everyone? Mike Rotham, a.k.a. Nerded Out, EdTech Coach from Corona Norco in California. Proud member of the EdTech Army. Keep rocking, everyone. Hey, how do I get a shirt? Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to another fantastic episode of the podcast by the Sons of Technology. And 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 listen, everybody, you know, we've, we've changed the format of the show a little bit into uh, encouraging you to watch this live and, and to come in with your comments, but also to really continue to engage uh, with the uh, content beyond these episodes, because we're only doing one a month uh, for this, um, you know, this six-month time span for right now, because we really want to dive deeper into topics and really get audience and group participants participation. Um, so this is the first time we've seen each other since the holiday season. So I want to say, you know, it's great to see you, Kyle. It's great to see you, Roland Bradford. It's always great to see you. We have a great group here uh, to talk about a topic that is on everybody's minds. Uh, and that is sub shortages teacher shortages, um, uh, being being out during this time of COVID. Well, I, I guess it's just normal times now since it's been 18 months, nearly two years since this all started. And, and we're just unwrapping the COVID present that was delivered to us before the holiday season. Um, just a lot of things to talk about. And I want our listeners to know, by all means, we are not 100% experts in what we're going to be talking about. We are educators like you who are hearing things, who are talking to friends, who are talking to districts, who are in the thick of things. We want to kind of piece together a story and a narrative for you and then postulate on the whys and how we can come back from this. Um, so before we do, let's go ahead and just do a quick roundtable introduction of everybody here so we can get to know each other again. So uh, my name is Joe Marquez. I am currently the director of academic innovation for Q and an educator out of the Central Valley of California. And as always, my partner in innovation, Kyle Anderson. Kyle, please introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. And hello, Joe. I, I haven't even talked to you much lately. We kind of even took a break from each other for a while there during this last few weeks. So uh, usually we talk every day, but we weren't doing that. So, but um, yes, I'm Kyle Anderson. I'm a special education teacher in Las Vegas, Nevada. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Same thing with the Instagram. Uh, my website, AndersonEdTech.net, where I write a blog that I haven't written much on lately because, well, you know, life. And then there's also a book out there with my name on it called To the Edge, Successes and Failures to Risk-Taking. You can find it on Amazon. You can find that on barnesandnoble.com and also through my publisher, Edumatch Publishing. And we've also got Roland with us, uh, joining us for the first time in a while. So Roland, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Thanks a lot. It's good to see you guys again. My name is Roland Chidiak. I am currently a re-engagement teacher in Ontario, Canada. Uh, before that, I was a grade three teacher. And my job this year is supposed to end at, in June. So I'm supposed to be back in the classroom. We'll see how that goes. Um, that's me. I'm at our chids on Twitter. Connect with me if you want. 
Awesome. We're going to dive deep into your position also, because your position was created because of the COVID pandemic. So we're really going to dive into how that was created and, and your transition out of the classroom. And Bradford, you as well, you were in the thick of things and now you're in a new position. But please, Bradford, introduce yourself to uh, the audience. Hi, everybody. I am Bradford Harris. I am Ed Tet Tinker on Twitter. I am an education strategist for SHI. I'm still getting used to always saying the new title since I'm only literally like five, six months out of the brick and mortar education, but this would have been my 14th year in traditional education. And um, I served as a uh, coordinator of digital uh, innovation for my previous district. And so now I basically do the same job, but I evangelize what I love to do across the country. So I'm really excited. I still talk esports. I still talk STEM. I still talk uh, innovation, uh, but now I just do it on a more global scale. Yeah, and you know, one of the great things, right, uh, about your position, Bradford, is you're like an EdTech TOSA, but for a lot of people instead of just a small group. And so your your uh, input, your insight uh, into what we're going to be talking about today is going to be important because you're hearing a lot of things from across the country, not just in Texas, where you're based out of. And Kyle, you're out of Nevada, so you're gonna, we're going to be able to hear a lot of what Nevada's doing. And, and um Oh, and you're out of Canada, so we're going to be able to hear of going on. So we have a lot of global, really global perspective of different uh, things that are happening. But I want to put together uh, kind of a narrative for our conversation. Um, you know, like many of us, I've seen um, uh, the news articles. I have talked to friends in education. I have talked to district leaders in education. And there's a variety of things that have happened. I've tried to piece together a timeline. Um, as to why there are certain problems propping up today. Problems such as teacher resignations, um, teacher retirements, uh, sub shortages, uh, teacher, uh, teachers feeling um, just having this anxiety in the classroom right now. A lot of things that are happening and, 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 and they, they all kind of build upon one another. So I wanna to put together this narrative for everybody here. And I wanna hear your thoughts on it from what you've heard, from your experiences, from you leaving the classroom. Um, so I, I'm gonna put this together. So. Here we go. So we had in March of 2020 a uh, uh, an emergence of the COVID uh, pandemic, and uh, schools, uh, uh, um, not only in Canada and the United States, but uh, many places, shut their brick and mortar and went to distance learning. And so teachers who may have dabbled in technology or who have used a lot of technology, but in a face-to-face -face setting, were then forced to transition to a different ball field, a different playing field to try and engage students. And some teachers were able uh, to really adapt to it. Others struggled to adapt to it. Others really struggled to adapt to it. And that's gonna be normal, right? I mean, I, I want people to understand it's not the teacher's fault either. Right, they were asked to transition their modalities from one learning environment to another, and they were asked to do it without skipping a beat. That is almost like asking LeBron James to quit basketball and tomorrow start playing quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Right? It doesn't matter that he's an athlete. It doesn't matter that he's very um, successful in the sports arena. It's a different ball. It's a different field. Uh, and it's a different game altogether, but you're asking still make the fans happy and do your best. 
He's not going to be the best quarterback. He's never trained to be a quarterback, but he's going to be expected to be a quarterback. Just because he's an athlete, I don't think so. So you have to give grace when transitioning from one place to the other. You can't expect perfection when you've never taught that way. So now you have these teachers being expected to teach in this one modality that they're not quite used to with students who are trying to learn in a different setting that they're not quite used to. And so you get this struggle going through. And the thought is, initially, it's going to be two weeks. School's going to be shut down two weeks. We're going to come back. We're going to re readjust. We're going to reset. Two weeks turned into months. Months turned into, you know what? We're just going to go through the rest of this year. We're going to be fine. Um, and then summer. Okay, we'll be back face-to-face -face, uh, for the 21-22 school year. And then no. I mean, it, it, or the 20, the 20, I'm, I'm getting even years messed up, 2020, 2021 school year. And then that's all virtual. Uh, it's, it's, it was longer than possible. So because of that, you have teachers, um, more veteran teachers who, by the way, every year there's teachers that are going to retire. Okay. That's not something new. Every year, there are a group of educators who are ending their career. And just because of the time span that they've spent in education, they're going to retire. But we started seeing a lot of teachers who would waffle, like, oh, maybe this year will be my last. Maybe I'm going to go out for one more year. But they're like, you know what? Nope, I'm done. They weren't waffling anymore. They said, I'm done after this year. So not only did you have the normal amount of teachers who planned on retiring, but the teachers who waffled, waffled in the direction of retiring. So you have a larger group. And then... You even have teachers who are like, you know what, in three years, I'm definitely going to retire. Like that weren't even waffling that are like, you know what, I'm putting a pen in it. Three years from now, I'm going to retire. They spent that 2021 year. I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to retire a little bit earlier. I'm done. Uh, I, I, I'm looking at what I have in into the system and I'm just done. And so you have teachers in three different spectrums of the retirement circuit saying, I'm done. So you have this large amount of educators who are retiring. Now you have teachers who are um, expected now to take over for those leaders, because a lot of the veteran teachers are the leaders, the leaders of their departments, chairs of different aspects of the school district. Um, you have now these new teachers who are being moved up to those more leadership positions that weren't expecting to be moved up yet, uh, maybe even uh, kind of conjoled to take those spots because somebody needed to. Uh, and now not only do they have to do their work in the classroom, learn how to do a different modality of teaching, but now take over the leadership aspect of those teachers who retired. That's now putting this extra strain on the teachers who are used, usually the mortar of the bricks in the school, right? But now we have to deal with not only shifting to the new leaders moving up, but also bringing in new teachers to replace all the retirees right? Even more than there were before. And so where do you usually go to bring in new teachers? Your sub pool, right? The teachers who have been subbing going, I, I'm testing out the waters. Maybe I want to be a teacher. Maybe I don't. I don't know. They go to the sub pool, but then they go, you know what? We need to bring you in. We're going to give you emergency credentials. We're going to emergency bring you in. You're going to now be a teacher. So now you have these teachers who are brand new, and they're being asked to teach in a virtual setting. And maybe if they went to college, they weren't taught how to teach in a virtual setting. And the teachers that are trying to train them to teach in a virtual setting just learned how to teach in a virtual setting themselves. And so they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to do it. And so everybody's just trying to learn, right? And so now you have these new teachers and now you don't have subs because you pulled from your sub pool. And so now teachers are being, at, or teachers get sick besides COVID, right? 
teachers who are getting sick, teachers who are having children, teachers who need to take time off for deaths in the family, teachers who need to take time off and you can't get subs. Teachers who are asking, who are, are testing positive for COVID, right? And being asked to stay out for 10 days. Now you have whole staff that are going out. You can't bring in subs. And so now you have teachers who normally have prep time and, and, and need the prep time for sanity being asked to get rid of their prep time and cover for a class that isn't theirs. And now they're like, I, I, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds to the point where it's just so frustrating. And it's just, it's just, it's just mind boggling. Now I want to hear from you guys. Does that build up? Does that scenario? Cause and again, I'm piecing together all of this from what I'm hearing from districts across the United States. Um, does this sound like a talk track of why we are where we are? And as we go through, I want to hear your experiences, what you've heard from your teachers, Roland and Bradford. I want to hear from you about the positions that you're in, why you left the classroom during this time. Was it an easier decision because you were just the same way going, this is just something I need to get out of right now, or this is a thing I can use to help. Uh, or, you know, why, why would the, why was the, um, the, the, the change maybe easier to make during this time than before. I want to hear about that. But also, I want to hear about your thoughts on how we can now lay the groundwork of getting more teachers into this profession and how we can encourage more teachers to utilize the strategies of distance learning in a face-to-face -face classroom just because a lot of it is good teaching, is good pedagogical shift to get insights into student understanding and engagement. How can we encourage teachers to not look at all this stuff as just, um, I put it in terms of, you know, what was a, uh, a game changer and what was a lifesaver? What was used during the pandemic just to save your life for that moment? And then once you're back on land, you throw the lifesaver away and never want to see it again. And what was a game changer? Like, I cannot, I cannot go forward and teach without these tools now because it changed the way I see education. So what do we see as the game changers versus lifesavers? And how can we encourage teachers to keep moving on with the game changers and not think of them as lifesavers? I know that's loaded but it's a loaded topic today and we won't be doing this once a month now. So this is going to be a lot to talk about. So I want to hear now from you guys. How do you, what do you think about that talk track, that story I laid out on why teachers may be feeling overwhelmed right now and why we have a sub shortage and why we have early retirements or early resignations and why we have transitioning of out of the school system into a different kind of system and where we are today and how can we fix it going forward? So if anything like this ever happens again, we have teachers that are at the ready to take over. All right, ready, go. Now, we've got a lot to talk about already, and I'm actually gonna add a fourth dimension to your retirement and shortage issue a little bit. Perfect. During this time, you had a lot of districts around the country freaking out about finances, which was not new to the pandemic. But when the economy crashed out due to the pandemic starting in March of 2020, that meant tax revenue streams crapped out as well. And in preparation for down the road, because th these aren't things that are in real time, uh, tax revenues and budget proposals and projections, and everything are things that are planned years in advance. So school districts getting information from states, getting information from the federal government really kind of started freaking out a little bit. We are going to be really shorthanded on money, even more shorthanded than we are now. Where can we start saving money? One of the ways that a lot of districts, including my district, looked to start saving money was retirement incentives. 
people that weren't necessarily ready for retirement, probably weren't even considering retirement, but were offered, hey, if you retire now, we will give you X amount of dollars. We'll give you the credit towards your retirement years of service, so on and so forth, if you take this now. And for a lot of people, it was an incentive that was too good to refuse. So an assistant principal at my school was, I believe he was in year 28. So he still had a couple of years to go before retiring, but he was one of the people that was offered this incentive. And again, one of those deals too good to be uh, passed up. So he took it, retired. And now, as far as I know, he's enjoying his retirement and collecting a full pension. Several principals in my district were offered this. They're not up for retirement. They weren't ready for retirement, but were given these incentives. One of my uh, co colleagues at the school, she was in year 25. They offered her one. She took it. Well, then she came back now as a special education teacher, critical needs. So she's collecting her full pension plus a regular paycheck with benefits. So a lot of districts did this around the country in order to try to save some money. But now what it's doing is it's causing more of a shortage because you had so many people that retired or offered these buyouts and everything, and that just exasperated the problem more. So the three things that you offer, Joe, all very valid, all very true. This is just a fourth one that contributes to that as well. And again, I, I work in a district that has over 20,000 teachers, 310,000 students. We're the fifth largest in the United States. Uh, so I definitely see it here because we're so big, but I can imagine that it's happening in other districts around the country and it's affecting us very much. So I can only imagine if they were doing this in smaller districts as well, where you're talking like maybe 5,000 students. And if all of a sudden 10 teachers in a district like that were offered that, I can imagine that caused even more problems. Yeah, that's very, very valid points. And plus, you know, when you have administrators who are retiring or being given the option, you know, the golden handshake is what I've always heard it called, right, to be able to retire a little bit earlier, you need people to kind of shuffle maybe a little bit to those newer positions, right? So um, you're going to be losing teachers from the classroom because you shuffle that way, right? So that's going to be happening also. Um, you know, Bradford and Roland, you were in the thick of things. Roland, you were in the classroom during the pandemic cycle, right? And just left this at the beginning of this year. Bradford, you were more at a district level being able to oversee what was happening, especially at the tech level, you know, trying to get teachers up to par and answer questions and calm people down with situations. And then you left at the beginning of this year, I believe, um, uh, for a, a different position. I want to kind of hear your stories, Roland. I want to hear you start um, because you were in the classroom with littles. And we've talked about this before. Like my experience is with eighth graders who can act like littles at times, but, but you are with little littles and, you know, that transition to a, from a face-to-face -to, -face to a, a more computer-based digital section, that can be really difficult. So I, I want to hear your aspect of how, how, how were you mentally going through that year of distance learning? And did that contribute to when the opportunity came up for this new position out of the classroom? Was that a contribution to you saying, you know what, maybe I'm going to do this <laughs> because that last year was just so trying. Yeah, thanks, Joe and Kyle, for, for all that information and that narrative you laid out, Joe. So, wow, it loaded, loaded. Okay, so I'll start with 
so yeah, I was teaching grade three last year and I was teaching grade three the year before when COVID started, March, 2020, when everything hit the fan. Um, so I've always been into tech integration. So my students have always kind of understood, I've taught them how to use Google Classroom. And we also use something here called uh, Brightspace D2L as an LMS. So my students in my class have always kind of been familiar with that. I've always use those things, never thinking that I was preparing them to one day be sitting at home on a computer staring at me as I sit at home staring at them, right? That was never, it was never kind of in my space, in my mind that this could happen to us, but it did. So last year when the school year started, um, teaching grade three and basically the school board, the consultants and the superintendents put together a protocol that if we have to sh uh, shift online, this is like, we have a structure for it now. Everybody understands what this is gonna look like and how it's gonna play out. And um, and we had to shift several times. I had to do one extra shift because at my school, we had, we my principal couldn't staff the school. There were people who were away because uh, family members had COVID or people were just exhausted and zonked. So they just stopped coming to work. And we literally had to shut the school down for two weeks. So while my wife and my kids were at school at one part last year, I was at home teaching from home because we couldn't staff the school. So that goes to the, the sub shortage and the inability to make sure that there were enough uh, adults in the building to make sure it was safe. So I, can, I, I experienced that and I'm seeing it this year. So I'm in the classroom last year. I have no intention of leaving my classroom or my school. Um, I loved my, my school, I still do. Um, but then in June, this job popped up. It, it was called uh, Reengagement Teacher, and it was born from the whole the whole COVID situation, where the Ministry of Education here in Ontario gave school boards money to to enact some kind of reengagement strategy because they realized somewhere along the way somebody collected data that showed that because of COVID and because of the switching to online and then back and online and back kids were just walking away from school. They're like, yeah, forget this. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, they just they just fell off the rails, so to speak. So my school board, they took the money and the, their re-engagement strategy was to hire two teachers to act as re-engagement teachers and a social worker to be the re-engagement social worker because we understand there's lots of mental health layers. There's lots of other concerns, not just COVID, but you know, people who are racialized, people who are low income, people who are special education, all these things come together and cause these students and these families to step away. So they hire us and our job is to seek out these students and to find ways to bring them back. And we've been using all kinds of strategies and building amazing relationships with people to, to have them step back into the education world. Well, now in Ontario, we're back online. And so my job, I suspect, is going to become 10 times harder. And I suspect there's going to be many more referrals made to my team because we're already, most of my kids on my caseload, I'm, I can't contact them. I've been texting them. I've been calling. I've been emailing. In their mind, we're remote again, and they're not buying it. They're like, I'm out. You know, and so my job, I, I guess, as long as we're online, is to try to find these kids reconnect and bring them back online to say, hey, just step back in with me at the very least and we'll figure the rest out. So we're kind of reliving why my job came to be. It's a one-year position. 
who knows, maybe the ministry will say to the school board, we have more money because COVID's not gone away. So we're going to need to keep doing this. But um, I had no intention of leaving the classroom, no intention of leaving my school. But this position was so, it, it was the perfect storm for me to get to work with kids one-on-one, to get to uh, use some of my counseling skills to help kids out, to be able to teach uh, kids from grade 7 to 12, no matter what course they're taking, to work with guidance counselors and principals I've never worked with and travel the my district and go to these different schools. It I thought it was going to be an amazing experience and they were going to hold my job for me at my elementary school. So I had nothing to lose. I only had uh, this challenge in front of me and a lot of cool things to gain. So I jumped into that. Before I stop, because I know I don't want to talk too much and I'd love to hear what Bradford's experience has been. I want to talk about retirements for a second. So sub shortage in my in my district is it's out of control. Like people come into the school, they or they were coming into the school, they do the work for a couple of days and say, yeah, I don't want to do this. This is crazy. I'm out of here. And then you and that never happened when I started 20 years ago, 20 years ago, if a principal called you and said, I have a job for you, you said yes. And you were in there and you did whatever you were told in order to get your job now. Principals are calling and people are like, yeah, I'm not going to take that because I'd like to get something closer to home or whatever. And they're just waiting for the perfect job. And we're in a position where we can't just say to them, that's not how it works. It certainly is how it works, or at least it appears that way. But before I left my school, my teaching partner, other grade three teacher, I said to her before COVID even started, probably February 2020, I said, when can you retire? She's like, I got a couple of years, but I don't think I'm going to go. I really love my work. So then March 2020 comes and we're all strained because nobody really knows what to do. And then the next year, last year starts and I, everybody's tired. Everybody's scared, right? That's the other thing you didn't really mention, Joe. People are scared because they don't really know what this is. Well, this year... I'm I'm going about my business and I get a message from a friend saying your teaching partner's retiring at Christmas. Her number's up and she's out of here. Now, when that normally happens, you can leave a Christmas or March break. People tend to stay. They don't just get up and leave their class and go. This woman, fantastic teacher, fantastic person. She's like, I'm out of here. I got nothing left. Like I could stay, but I got nothing left. So she left. And I would have never in a million years told you that this person would leave at her time, but because of all the layers and all the stress, it's not worth staying anymore, which is unfortunate because she's a great teacher. Yeah. And that, that story really resonates, right? As, as with, with teachers who are, you know, waffling or saying, I know my time is going to be up shortly, but I don't want it to be up now. Went to, it's up now. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's time. Uh, and, and I'm gone. And, and then you have to struggle to replace at that point. Right. When you weren't expecting to, um, Bradford, what about you? Because, you know, you were in the tech department at your school district. You were dealing with teachers trying to figure all this out. Right. So you weren't necessarily in the classroom, but then you ended up leaving the education institution, right. For a different position. Um, you know, how was that? Uh, thought process, you know, and and did that stem from just the, the stuff that was going on since March of 2020? Well, wow. Well, first and foremost, let me say this. Um, my utmost respect is to the classroom teacher because I've been out of it 
you know, aside from the pandemic, I've been out of it for a couple of years. So the, the, the heart is the classroom teacher. I don't, the principal, the superintendent, what, whatever my my heart is always with the classroom teacher because though that they make mountains move that's just me being honest but i'm listening to the story and i can just remember now you have to remember from my perspective you let's go back to where before spring break of 2020 and something was about to go down you don't know what it is you have your leaders coming in saying You've got to plan for X. Now you're talking to tech people. I will never forget, I'm in a room and they're saying, you know, take everything with you. We're like, what do you mean take everything with you? Um, just bring your stuff home now. You see my room, you see my space now. I'm one of those people where I'm not taking everything with me. Whatever I need, I have it at my house. So I'm not gonna take everything. And they're like, take everything with you because we have we may have to plan for x and i'm going okay and so the lazy person me thinking oh well we got two weeks of spring break you know it's gonna go away that's what everybody's thinking like okay instead of a week you got two weeks we're gonna really rest and recuperate this is gonna be great so i will never forget now i have two kids who are out of k-12 um i was get uh my friend was taking uh, her graduation pictures in Austin, and I get calls, text, Google uh, Google chat questions, and I'm in this group, group text about what we have to do to plan. And I'm just looking at my child, and, you know, she's smiling, taking her senior pictures and all this stuff in Austin, and I'm going, oh, my God. And the conversations, I'm talking to people as I'm driving back home from Austin about what my team has to do tech-wise to plan for this. And I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Well, my daughter, if I want to paint this picture for you, my daughter has already been in virtual school for the past three years. So when this went down, I'm going to tell y'all, teenagers are the very honest people that you will ever meet. So when I look at her and say, well, what y'all, well, well, have y'all thought about anything? She's a dad. It's a Tuesday. I wish you guys the best of luck. She told me that. Good luck. Good luck with that. I'm going to go to my room and class has started. It's Tuesday. Good luck. And I'm going, are you serious? She goes, yeah, I'm serious. Good luck. <laughs> and so because she's already been in it, she's a virtual student. This is her life. And so there's, there's her that's already virtual student. There's me who's planning for a district with my team. And then there's my son who goes to traditional brick and mortar because virtual wasn't his thing. So he's being pushed, and y'all see my face, my, 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 uh, my image, he's being pushed into this because for him, his perspective is just because I'm 16, 17, and you think that I'm into technology, you're gonna push me into it. My internet and these, and these are from the mouths of him and other people that I've talked to. My internet, my social media, my technology, that's my stuff. That's my time. You're not going to tell me what to do in that space. And I'm looking at him and I'm just floored because he's very serious about what he does on his time. And then you have my wife. My wife is the parent. 
the parent trying to navigate the children, the coach who is in the space. Now, we forgot about that layer, you guys. The parent who's trying to learn how to navigate into this space. Well, thank God she has a husband that's in tech. Thank God Mike, the, she, there are kids who are already kind of tech savvy in this. So it, that's not the issue. But the issue that I'm thinking is parents who don't know how to navigate through this, kids who don't know how to navigate through this. And so that was hard. The other layer to this, you guys, is that my son is looking at his sister, and his sister is doing homework on the couch, going to the job, doing homework, doing homework whenever she pleases, turning in homework whenever she pleases. You guys, he's trying to replicate the same thing, and it's not working for him. He's being successful at it, but the every the the his educational institution is struggling saying well wait a minute we're giving you the work but you're not coming to class on time well wait a minute i'm making a's and b's my sister's doing the same thing and she does the work when she wants to do it in the allotted time but i don't understand no you have to be in class at eight o'clock why i've done all my work that's him so he's getting frustrated so i'm in like this cyclone i'm sitting here dealing with all of this and i'm planning for a district so i have all of these different layers and i'm going oh my god this is crazy so i'm learning from different angles and then i'm hearing teachers saying you know number one either this is great number two this is crazy number three when can i get back because now the online world is bleeding into my home and which i thought i would never hear because i joe y'all guys know me i am pro tech you know hey this is great this is awesome we're remote learning isn't this cool i had people tell me no i'm not it's not about me going into the pandemic ready to fight in the pandemic but now this is coming into my home and now work is bleeding into my home I just need to go back so there's some space. I need work to be work and home to be home. But there's some issues because what are the leaders saying? What's the plan? What's, what are we doing? Things change every day. And that's the part that they couldn't, that even principals couldn't grasp is like with their leaders above them, like, okay, things are changing every day. What are we supposed to tell our teachers, what are we supposed to tell our students when things are always changing and you we can't keep up? And then you're looking at the tech leaders and we've been wanting you to use Google. We've been wanting you to use your LMS. Now <laughs> you got to use it and they're floundering. And it was always in the plan to use this stuff. We had it in the works, but the pandemic just pushed it and made it faster. And so everybody's like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So now we've got to teach you to use Google or Microsoft or whatever it is that you want to use. Now we got to teach you to use your LMS. Now we got to teach you to use a Nearpod. Now we got to teach you to use a Pear Deck. Now we got to teach you to use all of these things all at once within like a five month, a two month time span just so you can get ready. And then on top of that, now you got to have like probably a parent camp. You got to have a student camp. You got to have all these camps, but it all falls on who? Yep. Tech people to do. Not the te teachers. Are, there are some brilliant teachers out there. Don't get me wrong. Teachers, yes, you are some brilliant teachers, but the tech people have to help push it out and implement it. And then there are people who are talking to me going, okay, well, Bradford, what is your son doing over there? 
I won't say too much, but I was showing a friend, here's what my son is doing over here. And one person got instantly mad because I have access. When you have access to when your child is in another district and they and they're doing things differently, it instantly makes you even more mad because you're in another district and your daughter is in another institution and you see think you see the differences. And you're like, why can't we all just have this one cohesive conversation? So there was a lot of frustration. For me, again, in these past two years, it wasn't about me running away. It wasn't about me escaping. And Joe, you know, I've had these conversations. It was, it was a big revelation because my kids were graduating. I had 17, 18 year old kids who were graduating. So I was in a transition period and it just literally snapped the minute my son walked across the stage. The minute my son got his diploma, I was like, that's that's it. Um, as a parent, as a K-12 parent, I'm done. What are you going to do next? You've done your job as a K-12 parent. And I started looking at things from a different lens. And um, I wasn't running and seeking another job, but I realized during these two years, like every other educator, they've said, I can do better. Not I want to run away, but because of everything that educators have learned in this space, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and I can do it faster, I can do it quicker, I can do it better. What else is out there? I can do it a whole lot better. Um, I started just kind of just getting some fillers out there. Somebody saw what I did. Somebody saw what I built and said, hey, I like what you're doing. Come over here. And I took it. And I really took it because of my children, because they're about to go out into the real world, into the pandemic world, you guys. And they're looking at me like going, dad, well, what are you going to do? I'm about to talk about making changes in the world. Daddy, what are you doing? And that was a big eye opener. My own daughter, she took a year off for during the pandemic um, because she was like, dad, this is way too much. There, it, it, I can't go to school right now during this pandemic. And she made a smart move because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but during that time when she, after she graduated in 2020, colleges were shifting to, well, y'all know this, colleges were shifting to online too. And, but that was crazy because the issue was, okay, well, we're gonna charge on uh, regular students uh, that wanna go online, the college prices. We're gonna kick people out of doors. We're gonna do all this stuff. And I'm going, oh my God, this is crazy. And she said, dad, this is way too much. I just wanna work. And so it was a lot of conversation in households, in my households about what is the next step and what we all should do next. And those are the things that I know institutions don't even think about either is families are having critical discussions about what their children should do next, what their families should do next. And so for me, it was about not wanting to escape education is I'm in a transition, transition period. And this was a time during the pandemic where I can now reflect on what my profession is and how I'm being treated. Not saying that people weren't treating me disrespect in a disrespectful way, but I had time to 
what my former principal say, stop, look, and pause. And I noticed other teachers were doing the same thing and saying, you know what? If I can't get it here because the pandemic, if you guys notice, lifted a veil going, wait a minute, this really isn't a pandemic thing to a degree. It's a, mm, you guys really don't know what you're doing. And the pandemic really lifted that veil up going, well, hmm, some district leadership isn't really as good as it really is. So I might just take my virtual bags, my school bags, and kind of either, what were you saying, Kyle, Joe, everybody, and go over here. And so that's really what I, what I really did. It wasn't because I was tired. It wasn't because I was frustrated. It was because I was ready to transition. I was ready to, to make a larger impact um, across the country. And the stories that all of you guys are saying, it is it's widespread across the state. I thought it was like just me, but listening to administrators, listening to teachers, the story is amplified. Now that I'm in a different seat and I'm listening, the stories are amazing to hear from Texas, Florida, Maine, Canada, California. They're all the same story. And now my mind's going, we all have the same story. And the thing I want to I've always said this, how come this is not on the news? How come nobody is really talking about the teacher struggle, the education struggle? Because it's more than just a te uh, teacher struggle. It's an education struggle. Because, you know, our superintendents are struggling. Our administrators are struggling. They don't know what to do. And so y'all are talking about the um, teacher shortages and whatnot. Yes, that's evident. But I'm like, how come nobody is helping us out in this? <laughs> so that's my that's my story. That's yeah. My story. Well, and that's a great segue into you know how can we help lift up the classroom teacher, right? How can we ensure that they are being listened to? How can we ensure that teachers are treated as prof the professionals that they are, right? Um, how can we ensure that we 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 know that the ultimate the ultimate employee in the education system is the teacher right everybody in it needs to do their job to make sure the classroom teacher can do their job every administrator needs to do their job to ensure the classroom teacher can do their job the the superintendent needs to be somebody that can help the classroom teacher everything goes back down to the classroom and that's the most important person in the school district because they are the ones who are changing the lives of students and people need to stop thinking they are the most important when the teacher is the most important but when we are paying teachers so little when we are listening to them so little how can they feel that they are important how can they feel that their job is important when we're not doing that how can we reach out to potential teachers and let them know that if they go down the route of becoming a teacher, they will be deemed important. They will be paid as they are important. That's one of the problems is getting people to become a teacher when a lot of people are like, well, you know, I guess if, if all those fails, I could become a teacher. I hate that statement when I hear people say that. I want people to say, I want to become a teacher. And the pay should not be one of the reasons why they wouldn't want to do that. Um, you, you know, I mean, Bradford, you've stepped into the realm of private, right, of, of private of company, commerce or whatever. I, I'm sure you are aghast 
at the pay difference that you're getting paid now compared to when you were in public education. And I'm sure you've thought to yourself, that's not fair, right? Because I have let me tell you, it's not fair. I don't I don't mean to monopolize this conversation, but the I will tell you the before I hop before I hopped on the two weeks, you guys, the two weeks before I started, I got so much Bradford, what do you need? I didn't know my I didn't know my salary yet. Bradford, what do you need? Bradford, here's this information. Here's this, here's this, here's this. I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Um Yes, we'll change this part of your salary for you. We go, we do this, we do this, we do this. And mind you, I'm in Houston, Texas. The company is is in New Jersey. And I will tell people, I got and it wasn't about them trying to hurry up and get me. I feel I really feel that in my heart. I was like, wait a minute. I everything that you guys done for me in two weeks. I it was hard for me to just get in two three years, and I'm floored. Going through orientation, you guys, they're telling you, here's what you 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 do. You do this. You do this. You do this. You do this. And I'm trying to force things that I need to do. And they would say, Bradford, that's going to come later. But I want to do this. This. This is nope. Here's everything that you need to learn this for right now. And you'll get the email as soon as the call ends. And I kid you not, as soon as the call ends, there's the email. And I'm like, I'm floored. I've never seen anything like this. And people would ask me every day, so what is that like? I said, it's about value. It wasn't, yes, the money is great. I'm I'm not going to lie to any of you guys. But what I saw at the end of the day was the value how much they value me and how much organized things were and how much that, hey, if I want to do a project, Joe is assigned to this. Brian, you're assigned to this. Kyle, you're assigned to this. And I don't have to do everything. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Joe, you remember, I've had these conversations with you. Like, I'm trying to put everything all into one place and when I get here, they're like, Bradford, you don't have to do that anymore. You guys, when work is done for me, work is done. Five o'clock, have a great day. And I don't hear from anybody anymore. I'm like, that's, I've never seen anything like that. And I'm not trying to say that to put, you know, to for, for have people to run and jump and, you know, leave education. I don't want people to do that. What I have told people is, is that it's about value and it's about respect. And it's about where people know who you are. And they know your work and they know what you're putting in and they know that you have family and they know that uh, you've got to take care of yourself and they're not going to put everything on you. There are other things that take priority um, over 50,000, 15,000 projects that you have to do. I work for a phenomenal boss. Boss. I had a phenomenal boss beforehand that understood that too. Let's make that clear. But it's all about value. And I think that's what educators are looking at now during this pandemic is, wait a minute. Yes, COVID is crazy. It's, 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 it's a mess. But now they're like, well, how am I being valued? How am I being treated? How am I being respected? I can't teach 100 kids at one time. I have a total of 100 kids throughout the day. 
but you're asking me to teach 100 kids at once because there's a shortage. And I'm a math teacher. This is this is what I've been hearing. I'm a math teacher, but tomorrow I have to teach reading. That I, I, but they're saying, well, you're qualified to teach, but I'm a math teacher. How am I supposed to teach literacy and make sure that they're ready for that literacy test? And I don't hate we we hate to talk about tests and all that, but that's what's real right now. How do how do I how do I do that? How am I supposed to be that effective teacher if I've got to teach 100 kids at once? The latest thing that I've heard last week or this week was um, schools were still open um, during, I don't know, I'm a, uh, yeah, my friend was talking about in New York, schools were still open during snowstorms and whatnot, and um, they were refusing to close. I'm going, that's so crazy. I said, I think that's because they're, they're scared of dealing with things at home. They don't have a plan. Um, I don't know, you guys. Uh, I could get on my soapbox all day, but I want everybody else to have the floor. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, I mean, making sure teachers feel supported, making sure teachers feel that they are valued, right? I mean, and that should be at the get, at the get go. And so, what do you guys think about districts uh, promoting like a teacher track, right? Where you know, where students. Uh, maybe even like CTE, right? But a teacher track, CTE, like these students really want to become teachers. Let's actually have them take classes to learn how to engage, to learn how to look um, look at creating great lessons, to look at what it, it takes to become a teacher. And that track should lead into maybe a local college, right? And that local college, maybe they can earn credits in the CTE courseway in, in the high school that leads to Boom, they're in college already on the teacher track where they can get their bachelor's and master's or bachelor's and teaching credential at the same time. And they are out the door, out the gate, and they maybe even back cycling into the, uh, the school district that they started the CTE in, right? I will tell you this. There is one school district, um, uh, the San Joaquin County Office of Education up by Turlock, California, um, about 30 minutes north of Dust Bowl Brewing. Um, so the, the, uh, the, this district, they have a teacher track and at their county office, they have a college where the teachers can then get their master's in education um, and then they get hired within the district all within their district. So there's a cycle that, that you can go through. Um, at Fresno State uh, here in California, I am part of what's called the TTA, the Teacher Track Academy. And uh, over the summer, I do workshops for students who want to get into teaching. And I am part of the track of engaging students with technology. And I will go and, 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 and I will have them experience different ways to assess without students feeling assessed different modalities for students to share information and share their knowledge. And that's not just writing, it's their modality. Do they want to do it vocally? Do they want to do it visually? Do they want to do it with, with text? But they see there's different ways. And I always get, how come my teachers don't do this? Right? And I tell them, because it takes time to change and you're already in that process, you have to showcase these differences. And, and by knowing them now, you're already at a level that that can, that can lead you down this different track, just being aware of it, right? Um, and then also part of 
Fresno State is they have outreach towards students in bachelor's degrees, outreach saying, hey, have you considered getting a teacher credential? Like if you're going through a bachelor's in biology, hey, all you need is a teacher credential now and you can teach biology at, at the high school. Have you thought about that? Right. And here's some reasons why we think you should do it. Hey, why don't you come to some of these other academies um, that, uh, that, that, that can show you how you can become a teacher? Um, and I've been a part of keynotes where I've keynoted to uh, students who haven't thought about teaching, but have, are going through this program to be get their toes dipped into teaching and see from teachers on why they should become teachers and why they should go. And, and, and we've gotten teachers through this because they feel value in education. Outreach is important, right? We cannot hope that people will just want to become a teacher. Right? We need to show them the value in education. We need to show them the value in becoming a teacher, the why behind the how, and that, that you can change the way teaching happens by thinking, you know, I always tell them, think back to the teacher that you were most bored with and the class that you hated the most. All you have to do is not do that. <laughs> Just go the opposite way and you can become a better teacher. That's the experience you can bring to the educational um, uh, faction. Has anybody heard about things like this? Have you seen different programs that lead into education rather than students say, well, my mom was a teacher. Maybe I'll go for that, right? And, and, and I, love, I love legacy teachers. I do. Don't get me wrong. I love when I hear teachers that, in fact, when I became a teacher, they go, oh, uh, what, did you, what, what, uh, what grade did your mom teach? My mom wasn't a teacher. Oh, oh, um, you know, what school was your dad a principal at? My dad wasn't a principal. Then why are you a teacher? That was, I was asked that all the time. Or I would be asked, oh, what grade does your, your wife teach? My wife's not a teacher. What? It's, it's to, to a lot of people, it's strange that you are a teacher, not from a teaching family. We need to get out of that. Again, I'm not, I, I love legacy teachers, but we need to get out of the thought process of to become a teacher, your parents should have been a teacher. We need to get out of the process of, we, we hope that, that that lineage keeps going. We need to bring in new blood, new teachers to see the value in teaching, the need of teaching. And Bradford, as you had said, showing teachers they are valued and paying them what they are worth will also help entice more teachers coming in. We shouldn't be begging for teachers. Teachers should, people should be begging to be teachers. That's the difference, right? Uh, Kyle, what about you? I've, I've, I, I know that you are... Um, near a college, right? You were in, in both of your places, you were near a college in Nevada. Is there anything like that up, up in the, uh, for, for, you know, uh, the different colleges that you're around and in your district? You have a large district. There's got to be some kind of teacher track that you've heard about, right? Well, what we have where I'm at in Las Vegas is you've got UNLV, you've got Nevada State College, you've got College of Southern Nevada, which is a two-year school for most programs, but it's a school where you can go get like a nursing degree and some other things as well. So so there's no shortage of educational opportunities for the post-secondary track for teachers that's here. And then you've got different online schools have physical locations where I'm at too, like my Nova Southeastern University, where I got one of my master's from, they have a physical location here as well. So now in regards to any sort of teacher track or anything, I, I'm not 100% sure to tell you the truth. I know that there are high schools throughout the district, mine included, that have programs like curriculum for high school students to where they can start exploring 
a teacher track for down the road. So at my school, it's called the teach program, which I'm not hundred percent. It stands for something, but I'm not sure what it stands for, uh, where students starting freshman year, if they're interested in potentially becoming a teacher down the road, they can take these classes and then they will eventually get credit through UNLV for taking those classes that are here. And then my previous school, uh, a few years back, um, Tech Academy, we had an education program where it was the same kind of deal where they took classes to almost like your intro to education classes that you took um, usually like first or second year of college. They were taking those in high school and then getting credits for transferring into the college of their choice down the road, whether it was at UNLV where the credits were coming from or they could transfer them to the University of Nevada in Reno or other places down the road. So um, beyond that, I'm not 100% sure what else is out there. So the biggest thing that I'm seeing here is that my district, again, yes, it's huge. Every year we start the year in my district short anywhere from 800 to 1,000 teachers around the district. And they are always in critical needs areas, special education, math, science. It's always in those areas. So there's always that issue. Luckily, we can get people hired mid-year a lot of times because of different alternative route to licensure programs. Or when UNLV, Nevada State College, graduate in December, you've got kids that they're freshly out of college in December. They can start in January. So one of uh, a family friend of mine that I've known for many, many years, she just graduated a few weeks ago and she already has a teaching job here. So, so that's a good thing. But compounding the fact that it was already an issue where people were up and quitting in the middle of the school year. Well, right now that's happening even more. People are just done. They're just quitting in the middle of the school year. So anytime you have one kid graduate in December and take a teaching job in January, there's probably 30 more positions that opened up in the meantime because of that. Well, then in my district too, I, I found this really strange when I first started here 17 years ago. And I still find it strange that whenever a position comes open for an administrator, like a, a middle school dean or an assistant principal, they will pull people out of the classroom maybe in a random Tuesday in October to fill that position, now you've got a teaching position open. So they're not even waiting until say the end of a semester at least to give time for uh, preparation to find a new hire for that. Uh, so I, I find that very strange that that's the way it works. Um, and where I grew up, uh, if a new principal or a new assistant principal came in, it happened at the beginning of the school year. It wasn't um, you know, in April or something like that, it was, I, again, I find it very strange, and I could I could talk about it for a while and still be uh, completely confused as to why my district runs it that way. So, well, then the other issue you've got, we've talked about these sub shortages where for years, my district, districts around the country, districts around Canada, around the world, I'm sure, they don't value substitute teachers the way they should. So pay for substitute teachers. I don't know what it is now, but I know a few years ago, it was $90 a day yep. for the for just a regular school some schools depending on where they were at or um maybe some of the uh, concerns at those schools they paid subs 110 dollars a day and then if you became a long-term sub where you were going to be in that position for several weeks instead of 110 a day or 90 day you get paid 120 a day so 
the motivation to basically come in and, and and I hate saying this, but I'm going to basically be a glorified babysitter. What's the motivation in that? The pay is terrible. And a lot of times you're going to be coming in and dealing with kids that they're probably perfectly fine when they're in with their regular teacher. But when the, when the cat's away, the mice are going to play, as that old saying goes. Why would somebody want to come in and basically deal with all sorts of issues for, for that little of pay? Well, now throw in the COVID issue as well. Why would somebody walk into a classroom and deal with potentially getting sick? Why would they walk into a classroom where kids that have not been in school barely for a year and a half and quote unquote forgot how to do school and now there's all sorts of other concerns with behavior and engagement, whatever. Why would somebody be motivated to do, go in and do that? So a lot of people aren't. And then on top of that, you've got all the people that have retired. You've got people that are out sick. So there, there's so many layers contributing to why there is a sub shortage that there isn't just one fix for it. We could say right now, tell you what, we're going to start paying subs 200 bucks a day. Sure. In the beginning, a lot of people are going to sign up to do that. Wow, 200 bucks to just go in and do six hours of work. Cool, let's do it. Okay. But then when people start getting sick or when people realize that I don't want to deal with um, people acting like fools on a daily basis. Uh, so, and I hate saying that. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint all students as being a bunch of fools whenever there's a sub or something like that, because that's not the way it is. But that's how the job is painted sometimes. And again, you could raise the pay right now. It's not going to solve all those issues. So there's so many more things that need to happen. And just case in point, this week, we go back to school on Wednesday, and we were short 20 teachers on my campus for various reasons, um, a lot of which were COVID-related. And I covered my co-teacher who was out. Um, the one class I don't work with her, I have my own class at that time. I covered her class at the same time. So I had two uh, classes of students at the same time, which it, it's not a, a, an issue for me. The class sizes are small enough to where even combined, it's like the size of one class. It, it's not a big deal. But then Wednesday, or excuse me, Friday, I had to stay home because my kids were quarantined at home because earlier in the week, my mother tested positive for COVID and we'd been avoiding her. Nobody in my on my side of the house was having any symptoms or anything, but because my kids are not vaccinated yet. We have not gotten around to doing that yet. They had to stay home just in case they contracted. And so it didn't spread any further. So I was able to continue working because of my vaccination status. I've got my first two and then I've also been boosted as well. Well, when I take my kids yesterday, we're recording this on a Saturday. This was on Friday. We take the kids to get tested. My wife and I both get tested as well, just out of precaution. And again, nobody's feeling any symptoms or anything. Both my kids test negative. My wife tests negative. I tested positive. So now I have no idea what my status is for the next few days at work. So it's the weekend right now, so I don't have to worry about it. Uh, I am holding up upstairs in my bedroom and um, my little office area for now, trying to avoid everybody in the house. But most likely, I'm sure others in my house are now going to test positive because I have. And again, I got both my shots plus a booster and I still tested positive. So um, I'm not showing any symptoms right now. I feel fine. I'm not having any issues with it. Uh, so that tells me that either my immune system is pretty darn good 
and or the vaccine is working. But at the same time, though, now that's just contributing more to issues with my school because now I'm not going to be able to go to work for the first few days next week. So and that's best case scenario. If all of a sudden I start showing symptoms, I'm going to be out even further. So um, I, I don't know. So well, Kyle, let me let me ask you this, because yeah. I've I, I, your scenario is, is common right now. And I had this conversation with my wife and I said, you know, I, I said, babe, I said, I think people aren't paying attention to the November, December gap these past two years, everybody, including college students, remember college students are out for a month. And so they have a whole month off. I start my classes um, uh, next week, but the, the college students are out for a month. You have Thanksgiving, you're out for a week. Christmas, you're out for two weeks. So you have this like from Thanksgiving to January where you have a lot of people who are just out and about, okay? So do you think the fear is, and I've had this conversation too, the fear is when people, when there's these like 30 plus, 20 plus teacher shortages that, hey, yeah, some may have COVID, some may be sick, but the fear is, I don't know what I'm coming back to. So, you know, for that first two days, I'm going to call in sick or I'm just, just going to call in because I've had, I've had those conversations with people like, we don't know what we're coming back to. Um, either I'm going to quit or I'm just going to call in for the next couple of days because um, we don't know what the plan is. They just want us to flat out come back and just get to work, you know, have our teacher work day, have our just start school day. And we have no idea what we're coming back to. So do you think a lot of that is what that is too? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to discount it. I, I don't necessarily feel that way in regards to my colleagues, but Again, that that could be the case with some people, definitely. Uh, so that and that just contributes more to it. And and I had that feeling going in. So with the new strain, this Omicron strain right now, they're saying even people that are vaccinated are contracting it and testing positive. And um, you know, luckily, it sounds like with this strain, that sickness is a lot less severe, and you're not seeing hospitalizations or deaths like you did with previous strains, or whatever. So. Part of me was under the whole, it's probably going to happen. So maybe we should just get this over sooner or later. I mean, that, that's not me saying like, let's like the old um, chicken pox parties back in the day. We, we are all of a certain age here where when, when a kid in your class got chicken pox, guess what? There was a sleepover a few days later with everybody else so they could get the chicken pox pretty much. So I'm not advocating for an Omicron um, COVID party by any means, but um, it almost feels like that, though, with the way things are at this point. So, um, you, again, you've got teachers in my school. We were all covering classes uh, on our preps and combining classes like I had to do and, and whatnot because of the shortage. And it's something that this isn't going away anytime soon. But uh, I'm I'm hopeful, though, at the same time, though, because reading articles of they're looking at the way things are going right now and how the, the virus is becoming less severe of a sickness for, uh, for a lot of people compared to when this first started and that uh, when compared to the Spanish flu pandemic of the early 1900s, it was very similar where it was really bad for two years. And then, then the strain that came out towards the end of that was less severe and people started uh, coping with it a lot better. So I'm hopeful that that's where we're at right now, but 
even when this goes away, I don't think it's going to solve the problems that we've talked about here with teacher shortages, right. with, uh, with substitute shortages. Uh, there's a lot more issues at hand than just the pandemic at this point. That's, so. that's the part where I was really concerned because, like I said, my kids are they're out of it. And and I look at kids who are going into kindergarten. Joe, I always think about your kids all the time. And I go, you know, they're walking into this. You know, this is their life. You know, I don't know how long this is going to be, but, you know, the pandemic out of it, they're dealing with, you know, Mr. Joe is their sub teacher. They're not their teacher of record. They don't know anything about literacy. They're just teaching right now. And so I I look at it and go, how do we make sure our students are successful in these classrooms if teachers are out? And I'm not, and let me make this clear, I'm not saying, oh, teachers, you need to be in the classroom, you need to be in the classroom, because things happen. This is a serious conversation. Teachers are scared, teachers are getting sick, teachers are, you know, there are teacher shortages and when teachers have to cover classrooms. But what's happening right now is, we're, what we're talking about right now is we're covering classes and what does the learning look like? I always tell my son, I'm like, and my daughter who were in this, like what you guys were like the guinea pigs of this, like, what does this look like? I, and again, I remember when my daughter was registering, my wife told me this when she was going back to registering for um, classes they asked her what year she graduated. And the first thing that came out of the registrar's mouth was, oh, I'm so sorry. Because her class, remember, her, she was the first class that graduated. No prom, no this, no this, no this, no this, no this. And so they didn't have all this stuff. Uh, but what I look at it is, is the learn the learning. What does the learning look like when you have teacher shortages and you're cramming all these students in one in one class what do you do I mean, and i know we can't solve this question today but what does that look like now when you're trying to get kids to be successful in the classroom you know what i bradford i think that's a great kind of capping point because we can do another episode late uh, our next episode just be, be, be called you know subs Right. I mean, what, how can you create a sub day that is beneficial for the teacher and the students when we have a sub in place? Um, and, and what can you do daily to train the students if a sub needs to, to happen? And I'll tell you, I love this conversation because when I was in the classroom, I went to a lot of conferences and my number one worry was that my because we had block schedules um so um i would teach you know two four six on 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 uh, wednesdays and fridays and one three seven on tuesdays and thursdays and all classes on mondays so if, if i had to go to a conference on a friday that means meant my students on thursday got me and my students on friday would either get a sub nothing and i had to catch them up on it was it would ruin the schedule so i had to give them an immersive experience uh, from Thursday to Friday that mirrored. And I, I, I was able to do that. And I would love to talk about how I did that, how I would do it daily. And then also how I treated every day, like a virtual day, because I, because every day I had students absent every day. I had students absent every day. Students had to learn virtually. 
because they were gone. Uh, and I was able to do that. Plus, I always or students had to go on um, a long term absence because they would go to Hawaii or they'd go to here or they go there. And they would always come in with these papers that said, oh, Mr. Marquez, I was supposed to give this to you on Monday, uh, but it's Friday and I'm not going to be here for the next two weeks starting Monday. You're supposed to fill this out of everything I'm supposed to be doing for the next two weeks. I need it. I need it in five minutes because I got to go. I'd be like, I'm not filling that out. Google Classroom's all set. Just follow Google Classroom. Everything's there. And I would write on the paper, follow Google Classroom. Um, because how, how much work did you do to, to, to get all these things ready for a student? And then they hurriedly finished them up the night before they came back, half done, chicken scratched, just so you can mark them as, you know. So that'd be a great conversation. You know, sub day, sub plans, how we can combat that. That's a great segue in. And I think, you know, this conversation was absolutely needed. Uh, we solved absolutely nothing, right? Four, the four of us are not going to solve the, the education problems in an hour uh, conver conversation, but it brings things out into the open. There's a lot of worms, a lot of can of worms that have been opened up here. Hopefully listeners can resonate with portions of this. And if you're listening to this and you have other layers that we missed, uh, we know that there are there are equity issues, there are technology issues, there are internet issues. Uh, we know that that uh, students are dealing with issues at home and bringing those into the classroom like they have forever throughout our careers, but they're amplified during the pandemic because of isolation, because of job losses, because of things going on within their family, which brings them to the classroom, which then causes issues, which causes, there's, we know all that stuff too. We wanna hear from you. What did we miss? What are you seeing? What are you experiencing? Again, one of the big changes to this platform is we want to hear from the audience. And um, as a bonus, uh, if you um, respond to this, if you leave us messages on our YouTube channel, if you respond to us on our Twitters or on the Sons of Tech EDU Twitter channel, if you add to the conversation, uh, we'll reach out to you and uh, send you some Sons of Technology swag uh, for participating because you are a member of the EdTech Army if you are listening and participating. Um, so I want to say thank you. Uh, to everybody here on the panel today talking about sub shortages, teacher resignations, teacher early retirements, and how we can bring more educators into the profession. We want to hear from you to add on to that conversation. And hopefully next month in our next episode, we can talk about successful sub plans and how to approach those in our classroom. So again, um, we just want to say thank you to our panelists. Thank you to our audience. Thank you to our teachers who day in and day out are doing the work of the most amazing people in the world. You are the superheroes of the pandemic. I've said this for two years now. Um, if you have not already been thanked by parents, by administrators, if you have not already been thanked by uh, the people close to you, you will be thanked by history for making the world continue to spin while we, our minds are spinning crazily during this time. So thank you educators for sticking it out and doing everything that you need to do to keep the learning happening. Whether you're in your classroom or class Zoom, you are making a difference. So from the uh, the EdTech Army, from, from the Sons of Technology Clubhouse, we say thank you from the bottoms of our hearts. Keep doing your work. Keep doing your job. Keep doing the most amazing things that you are continuing to do. And have yourselves a wonderful wonderful Jenny.
happy 20th.